At the time of Axelrod's arrival at Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, he had not yet completed the Sub-Rosa Nimitz investigation. He had no inkling that his covert UAP investigation would explode onto the front page of the New York Times in December 2017. Axelrod was well-versed in investigating anomalies, utilizing a thoroughly professional approach. His demeanor instantly put skittish military aviators at ease. He reassured them there would be no negative career consequences for their testimony. Axelrod was, and is, the consummate military professional. But on that serene evening on Skinwalker Ranch, he had no idea what he was about to run into. Um, oh, my God. So then it goes uh, through. You, yeah, yeah. Uh, dear listeners, uh, you also have no idea what yeah. he's about to run into. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, so there, they had a an encounter um, of sorts, you know, a couple of, goes through talking about the, the badassery of like a couple of different guys, you know, they were all straight, uh, Costigan and Wilson, Jim Costigan. Guys. yeah, Jim Costigan. Right. Yeah. Um, They'd served in Afghanistan on a few hairy missions together. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then David Wilson, the most taciturn of the trio, his Marine <laughs> background crossed paths with Costigan on numerous overseas missions. They were experts on uh, sensor technology. Yes. And, and they were all, uh, radicalized by the book hunt for the skinwalker. They had been invited as subject matter expert consultants onto the Skinwalker property to begin applying their sensor expertise in tracking the mysterious presence that had outsmarted dozens, even scores of witnesses over the previous decades. It had gained notoriety since Hunt for the Skinwalker, which was the first definitive count of one of the most intensive scientific studies of anomalous phenomena in history. They had all read the book. They were straight military men. They were open-minded but skeptical of the reports from the ranch. Axelrod had once casually mentioned the Skinwalker book was one of the favorites for military intelligence community folk as they relaxed around the pool in the Green Zone in Baghdad during the Iraq War. All three were seasoned operatives who were equally comfortable out in the field or in briefing rooms in the Pentagon. On that warm July night in 2009, as they strode confidently on the track leading to the west on the ranch, they were already scoping out the Badlands terrain for places to deploy their technological assets. I love, like, the tone in which this is written. It's I just love the like, tone of this. Yeah. So uh, all three stopped and silently looked at each other as the air became... Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Uh, okay. We don't need to jump ahead. About a half mile into all their right. hike... The temperature suddenly dropped like a stone. From 75 degrees, the air was now 20 degrees colder. Yeah. Uh, and, and then... Yeah. Then all they all stopped. stopped and they sat with each other. There was no wind blowing. The air was still. And the zone they were standing in gave them a deep chill. Axelrod silently raised his hand and motioned backwards. All three walked backwards within a couple of yards. The temperature had gone back to high 70s. Axelrod motioned forward and the three moved silently in unison. Again, they walked into a wall of coldness cold anyway whatever weather front muttered costigan probably answered axelrod and again the trio retreated again they exited the wall of chilled air into the warm night three times they repeated the maneuver and three times a sharp boundary that defined the wall of cold air remained in the same location the maneuver of walking back and forth into the cold air let's move on axelrod said and the trio resumed their journey west costigan began scanning the environment and all around him the bleak badlands landscape looked eerie in the night vision green Three yards further on, all three began to feel anxious as they walked further. The anxiety deepened and turned into fear. No one said anything. They continued on their journey. But every step they took, their fear seemed to escalate. There was no external reason. No one wanted to be the first to mention the alarm they felt. Ten yards further on, the fear had escalated to mortal fear, and eventually Axelrod raised a hand and all three stopped. Do any of you feel that? Axelrod asked, his heart beating madly, the adrenaline surging through him. The other two acknowledged they felt intense alarm. All three looked around a full 360 to find what was causing the nameless dread, a fear for their lives that was more intense than they had ever felt. Axelrod raised his arm and motioned forward. All three swallowed and slowly began moving forward. Again, the fear escalated. The three were sweating profusely. Wait, Costigan whispered hoarsely, and his trembling hand pointed directly westward on the track. 
Fifty yards ahead of him, the ghostly outlines of the three old homesteads were now in view, but Costigan was focused on something else. Directly ahead of the trio on the track, Costigan's night vision scope showed an oval area of blackness about eight feet tall, surrounded by the night scope's normal green color. It was as if, Costigan said later, all light had been extinguished in that dark oval shape. Costigan felt the black structure was radiating a menacing presence. Neither Axelrod nor Wilson could make out anything definitive in the gloom, as if in psychological agreement with what Costigan was seeing, they instinctively acknowledged that the source of their fear was 50 yards further down the track. At that point, all three felt close to their breaking point, each one convinced that continuing towards a dark oval shape would lead to certain death. Without a word, the th- so this is two mil- two, $22 million of taxpayer money is going into this investigation, <laughs> by the way. You know, I think this is if, like, so if the seriousness, like if the idea that like the Pentagon spent money on like UFOs or the Tic Tac thing, like makes that serious or worth taking seriously, you know, this is what's going on. Uh, so without a word, the three began to retrace their steps as if guided by the same direct order. Slowly, as they walked back, the, ta- the terror began to subside. As if on a rheostat, the further they retreated from the mysterious black oval shape on the track, the less fear they felt. After a hundred yards, the fear had left them. Silently, the three walked back to the command and control center trailer, located on the east end of the ranch, for debriefing. But what's sinister about this is that this phenomenon actually, like many hauntings, it has a contagious... Uh, element, right? So, a couple yeah, of years I, later, yeah, um, the, um, yeah, like uh, it can fall, it can like attach to you. So this is what it explained uh, subsequently. A couple of years later, Allsop Bass program manager Heller interviewed Axelrod and Costigan separately about the events on the ranch that night. Both remained baffled regarding the source of the fear, and the interview confirmed that only Costigan saw the black oval shape through a night vision scope. The implication was that the oval structure could not be seen in the visible wavelengths, and had only been illuminated above 850 nanometers. The next day, the atmosphere was much lighter. The three comets were back to joking, and the sun shone beautifully on the serene ranch. It was as if the terrifying events of the night before had never happened, or had happened in a different reality. The rest of the day was uneventful. The three had walked the full length of the property without any negative effects. The three then packed up and were back with their families in their homes, Virginia and Maryland, the following night. Ten days after the ranch episode, Cahello received a call from Axelrod. He sounded puzzled as he recounted that almost immediately after he had returned from Skinwalker Ranch, strange things had begun to happen in their home, not to him, but to his family. Axelrod recounted that on the previous night, at about 2 a.m., while he was asleep beside his wife, Ruth, she had seen a large black humanoid shape walking towards her in their bedroom. Ruth did not scare easily, but she had felt alarmed and turned on the light but saw nothing. Ten minutes later, she clearly heard footsteps coming slowly up the stairs. She slipped out of her bed and walked to the landing, but there was nobody there. Quickly, she walked to her teenage son's bedrooms and saw that both were asleep in their beds. Axelrod said his wife was not completely freaked out, but the episode had concerned her. During a second call about a month later, Axelrod reported an alarming escalation and anomalous activity at his home. All of the activity appeared to be directed against his family. On several occasions, Axelrod was out of town. Axelrod reported that while he was on one mission overseas, his 16-year-old son, Paul, woke up at night with multiple small blue orbs flying around his room. Occasionally, one would fly very close to him. According to Paul, the orbs appeared to be moving under some kind of control. When he began yelling, his mother ran in the room, but the orbs were instantly gone. Even after the bizarre night with the orbs, Ruth continued seeing shadow-like figures in her home, and she routinely heard loud noises down in the kitchen after everybody had gone to bed. Ruth and Jonathan Axelrod were certain that these events had begun after he had returned from his trip to Skinwalker Ranch. I'd hope that they were served when they happened, but later, 
An even more bizarre event with strong links to the Skinwalker Ranch erupted in the Axelrod home. This is this is too much. Yeah, this, this is, is the ultimate story. Okay. Uh, <laughs> again, Jonathan was out of town on a work assignment. It was after midnight, and Ruth had turned off all the lights in the kitchen and was preparing to go upstairs when her eye caught a movement out of the yard. She walked over to the window for a better look, then froze as she witnessed one of the most bizarre sights she'd ever beheld. Standing upright and leaning against one of the trees at the perimeter of her yard was a huge wolf-like creature. She saw the creature plainly in the dim night light. It had long hair and looked like a wolf, but it was standing on two legs. Ruth stood paralyzed, feeling both confusion and a kind of dread. The creature appeared to be staring right at her. Its gaze was not friendly. She continued (laughs) to stare at this eerie sight, trying to fathom the impossibility of an upright, wolf-like creature in a quiet, upper-middle-class suburban Virginia neighborhood. The creature then took one last look at her, turned, and walked slowly on two legs further into the tree line. Within minutes, she had lost sight of it. She stood there a long time trying to determine if she had just had a very intense hallucination or if her mind was beginning to go. The scene had been so bizarre and frightening, she decided to call her husband, decided not to call her husband, or to tell her kids. The kids were stable and well-adjusted, but Ruth had noticed that they were on edge when the unexplained events had happened in their household. Ruth went to bed and tried to put the surreal vision out of her mind. Three days later, at about 10.30 on a bright Saturday morning, the two teenage Axelrod sons were downstairs in the living room. When Paul got up to stretch his legs, a movement in the yard caught his eye, and he gasped in astonishment at the sight of a huge, wolf-like creature standing on two legs in the backyard staring straight at him. Alerted by his brother's gasp, Michael jumped up and saw the seven-foot-tall, quote-unquote, wolf gazing menacingly at them. The animal appeared to be completely comfortable standing on two legs. Both Axelrod boys felt a sense of fear. Suddenly, the beast took off running towards the tree line, its long, brown, black hair blowing in the rapid movement. The beast ran easily and fluidly on its hind legs with long strides seemingly impossible for a normal canine anatomy. Both boys stood in silence as the wolf was soon lost in the trees that bordered the Axelrod property. The thick, insulated windows had prevented them from hearing any sound from the beast's transit across their yard. A couple of hours later, when Ruth came back, the boys breathlessly told their mother about the event. Ruth uh, felt a deep chill as they excitedly described in detail an apparition identical to what she had seen a few nights previously and that she was still hoping was a hallucination. And in case, you know, there's some amb- any ambiguity remaining here, you know, they do right. say the word. By the time Jonathan yeah. returned from his mission, the Axelrod boys had researched... I wonder what his quote-unquote mission was, but anyway. The Axelrod boys had researched what it was they had seen, trying to find some confirmation that the bizarre event had been real. The teenagers had become familiar with Linda Godfrey's books on dogmen, and they described <laughs> their sightings to their father, Jonathan felt a chill. Ruth's description was even more disturbing because she described the beast looking at her in a malevolent way, exuding a threatening demeanor. She felt like the world was going to end. Exactly. The following day, the family found that numerous trees in their yards had fresh, deep scars on the bark as if sharp objects had drawn vertical lines on the tree. Claw marks was a definitive description that Jonathan Axelrod relayed to the Keheller in a subsequent interview. The appearance of the upright, wolf-like beast in the backyard of the Axelrod home in Virginia led to a feeling of deep unease in Jonathan's mind. He confessed being disturbed. While his busy professional career with naval intelligence was intensifying with his daily engagement on multiple highly classified advanced technology projects, his home was turning into a bizarre paranormal Disneyland. Within a few months of his return from Skinwalker Ranch, every member of his family had experienced orbs in their home, seen dark humanoid creatures in their bedrooms, and heard multiple sounds of footsteps around the house at night. 
the uncanny temporal crossover between the normal comet events on Skinwalker Ranch and the literal explosion of bizarre anomalies at their home, 2,000 miles east in suburban Virginia, led Jonathan to the inescapable possibility that something had attached itself to him while he was on the ranch, and that he had brought something home with him. Either this was a complete coincidence, or he, Jonathan Axelrod, was responsible for the creepy, disturbing unfolding of bizarre activity that was slowly overtaking his home. So, my I, God, I think it's interesting to consider that you know we've been hearing this story like, and this was like a huge thing that created so much credibility on this around this UAP topic, right? That uh-huh. the Pentagon spent all this money to research UAPs and UFOs, but it's equally true, if not possibly more true that they spent that money to research dogmen. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's pretty plain that it y- seems like they were investigating dogmen. Yeah, that definitely seems to be within the, you know, uh, mandate of their uh, organization. And, I mean, yeah, think about it, Skinwalker Ranch. Like, why is it called that? Probably Because of the Native American legends, right? Yeah, and I, what, you know, skinwalkers skinwalker. usually are sorcerers who put on animal skins to change their shape, like mm-hmm. werewolves basically yeah but then to have such a specific dogman experience i mean the yeah. dogman lore is already established by the from an extremely happened, highly credentialed military officer uh intelligence yeah director director of intelligence j2 with the joint warfare analysis center deputy director of executive support with the office of deputy chief of naval operations for information warfare director air warfare spear with the nimitz operational intelligence center oni chief of air and base warfare defense warning office defense intelligence agency dia aerospace engineer with oni aerospace engineer with naval air systems command and senior weapon system engineer with Mantech International Corporation. A now you see what's you know what's interesting is that there's all this credence given by Leslie Kane and all the others like of her ilk about these people that are passing on secondhand information. Like a super secret insider told me yeah. that they've seen. I haven't seen it myself. But then you have this guy who, in his own personal experience. And in the experience of, I guess, every one of his family members. I suppose it is secondhand because it's all the dogman knew to like you know stake out when the the alpha of the house wasn't home because you know they have those wolf instincts. So it was his kids and his wife that saw it, and you know. I guess I you're mean, right. He, he didn't he see. Did, you're right. You're and right. He didn't actually even see the humanoid shape, but he felt the the. He felt the, the fear the of the dog pounding fear. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. is is definitely attested to in uh, all the Linda Godfrey writings about it. Yes, of course. And yes. So on the one hand, maybe Mr. Naval Intelligence is uh, promoting himself, like promoting a psyop. We can't rule that out, right? Well, but he, but well, he I would did almost, this anonymously, too, you know? Uh, his real name only yeah. came out later. He's using a pseudonym, so he's actually... That's the thing, like, I actually... I feel like this guy's Dogman story has more credibility <laughs> than, like, Dave Rush or whatever. As like, much. This, this, as much. Yeah, like, um, like, I don't see why it should be taken as sort of less seriously than somebody who is, like, two degrees of separation from actually seeing something, right? Yeah. You know, at least, uh, allegedly, if we're to believe that, you know they really were like the family was really interviewed or you know actually did claim this or whatever then um there's a dogman problem we have to deal with you know yeah. in addition to the, all this other stuff like you can't just like delete the dogman aspect of all of this um well yeah i mean that any is of the like other weird shit on skinwalker ranch what caused this whole explosion and i think this that's why this book came out was because they were trying to correct what's going on right you know so 
again, it's their narrative and everything, but I think certainly Elizondo, many people have like discredited his like sort of self-representation as being, as we talked about before, like being so intimately involved in this program. And like, yeah, it's kind of like if your day job lets you do it, like investigating it. And like, it's not what that 22 million was earmarked for. That was earmarked for uh, Bigelow to use, which basically went to this Skinwalker Ranch investigation stuff. So like the the MYT article that caused the start of this whole thing where it's like Tucker saying like it turns out UFOs are real like that uh, no Tucker it turns out dogmen yeah, are exactly. real yeah exactly it turns out dogmen uh, are real like stories. that's like you know that's how this article like opens up you know for access to the full length episode subscribe to the hour of frequency at patreon.com slash subliminal jihad